Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Welcome to a special episode of the show brought to you in partnership with Arlington Economic Development, where we discuss issues related to the workforce, the role of place in the future of work, and the role of the creative sector in a larger business context. We call this Return on Creativity. You can learn more about Return on Creativity and register for our upcoming events at www.returnoncreativity.com. Today we have an excerpt from our July 13 event, Return on Creativity, Return to Work, featuring a panel with Anissa Deshpande of Logue Lab, Steve Cooper of Next Up Solutions, and Sue Keith of Series Talent. I hope you enjoy. Uh, will the next 12 months look like the last 12 months? Um, and I think, you know, we can all agree that um, there's been a lot of upheaval in, in so many aspects of our lives. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, the last 12 months have posed challenges in the workplace. So, you know, this this question becomes, you know, how, what have we learned um, from the change that's been required by the last 12 months and how are we going to apply this to the future? Uh, so I'd like to welcome uh, my uh, the panelists today. Um, so we have um, Steve Cooper from Next Up Solutions and Acceleration, Anissa Deshpande from Logue Lab, uh, Sue Keith uh, from Series Talent, and and myself. I'll, I'll play moderator here. So um, first, uh, what I'd love um, everybody to do here is just um, introduce yourself and and what you do, and then in addition, one question. You know, what's a unique challenge that uh, either you've solved for your own company, or if you're a consultant that you've helped um, companies solve um, over the last 12 months. And uh, we'll start with Anissa. Okay, well, thank you, Greg. It's great to be here. Um, I am Anissa Deshpande. I'm a modern HR advisor. And so what that means is I help emerging growth and investor-backed companies modernize our HR by providing guidance, strategic guidance to the CEOs or fractional chief people officer services. I also provide coaching to HR professionals to develop their strategic acumen. And I publish content, um, either videos or I just published a book on modern HR and how companies can apply it. It's actually a novel if you're interested in that kind of stuff. And um, so something that I've done that's unique over the last 12 months, I would say this is, I'm sure you've heard this theme over and over the, the, today, it's a, really an unprecedented time. And so one of the things we, jump, we quick, quickly jumped on was the need to define uh, culture. And I think a lot of the, my clients had, had thought about culture, had maybe defined it loosely, we had values, but really getting into how do we operate? How do we think about things? If I'm a new person coming in, how do I get up to speed in a distributed environment? And so I built a culture guide template with a workbook and I had all my clients go through it. And not only did it lead to some really effective conversations for them as to you know, how they should be thinking about their culture, 
Uh, it also led to a great document for the existing workforce and anybody new that we had joining to get up to speed on how the company operated very quickly. Great, great. Uh, Steve, how about you? Uh, sure. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be here. I'm Steve Cooper from Next Up Solutions and Acceleration. We, uh, Next Up, does two things. One is we help teams, organizations, and individuals work better together, uh, become more productive, uh, raise morale, and produce better results through Agile, through Scrum methodologies, through Kanban. So we offer um, a lot of training to groups, individuals, and uh, companies. Uh, right here in Arlington and worldwide now that everything is remote, we are helping train folks everywhere from Belgium to South Africa. Uh, Acceleration uh, is a very unique uh, software engineering center because we have experts and we also tap into the talent that's available in the uh, college market. So undergraduate software engineers are harnessed on our projects to serve our clients and we build technology solutions. Most often, and this kind of pivots into your question here, what is the challenge that we've helped companies solve over the last 12 months? We've found a way to give startups who previously had no way to access technology talent, um, because as you know, there's millions of vacancies already in software engineering and uh, startups. Now it's phenomenal, but startups have great access to capital now through grants, loans, investments. They don't have great access to software talent. So they can get a $500,000 loan. What they can't do is spend it on software until now. And that's why we started Acceleration. We are now enabling lots of startups to uh, harness the energy of college-fueled expert mentored teams to build their MVPs, their minimal viable products uh, out there for uh, to bring them to market and please their customers. Hi there, everybody. Thanks for having me. Steve, that's really cool stuff. <laughs> I want to talk about that at another point. Um, I am Sue Keith. I'm a partner with Cirrus Talent. We are a marketing recruiting firm, been around about 15 years in the DC area. The reason we specialize in marketing and call it marketing and marketing related positions is everyone on our team spent the majority of our careers in marketing before we took this interesting, call it a stumble into recruiting. Um, and so we like to say we speak the language, at least the marketing language, and um, are pretty good at the matchmaking, which is essentially what we do for a living. Uh, answer your question, Greg, about the last 12 months. Um, you know, March of 2020, we saw a headcount come to it, you know, openings come to a screeching halt. Uh, so what we spent a lot of time, fortunately, we're diversified. In fact, in that we put in, uh, we supply contract interim marketing um, managers as well as full-time placements. So we helped our clients shift from thinking they were going to hire some full-time folks to bringing in some interim folks, because as, as everyone knows, it's two different budget buckets um, so that they needed the work to get done. So we were able to do that. The other thing we did is someone went from thinking they were going to hire five people the next couple of months down to one. We helped them prioritize what that one should be. And interestingly enough, same thing happening now. Now the job market's exploded and they want to hire. We have a client right now going from four to 19 people on the marketing team. So um, we're helping our clients think through prioritizations in terms of you can't do that in you know a couple of weeks. So what are the, mo the most critical first hires and what are the ones you can layer in you know, later on? Wonderful. Well, I've got a got a few questions for for everyone here. Um, so first, um, I'll start with a topic about workplace culture. So, 
Well, many believe that creativity and innovation happens in the between moments. So, you know, when you're walking to the water cooler or get grabbing a cup of coffee or something like that, that's not always the case. So, you know, how do you foster innovation in a, in a remote or hybrid work environment and maximize the different ways that people are working? And I'll, we'll start with Anissa. Okay, I think that's a great question. And I think I would start with the fact that there's no one way to foster innovation. And a lot of it depends on what it is you're trying to do. So, um, you know, I, I think it's very different to optimize something like the iPhone versus coming up with a concept of the iPhone. So if you're trying to do a lot of what I'll call more moonshot type innovation, you probably need to think about how you cultivate, how you create opportunities for people to have freedom. And if you think about, for example, Google, right? What, when they think about innovation, what do they say? Everyone says that, and I don't know that this is entirely true, but they allow their employees 20% of their time to work on whatever they want to work on. Now, they're not dictating that that should be in the office or that should be on their own. And I think highly creative people um, often need space to come up with those moonshot ideas. And so if, if you're trying to break into something that's completely unique or change or disrupt something, then innovation may look very different. Um, if you're trying to optimize existing products and maybe do some more um, product enhancements or um, work on something that, uh, or, or take a product that you have and maybe take it in a different direction or open it or maybe think about it for a different market, I think you do need a lot more collaboration. In those cases, you know, you may need to think about more of a hybrid environment. But I, I think the thing is, is there's no one size fits all, right? We really need to be thoughtful about what it is we're trying to achieve. And I know some of this was, was mentioned in the last panel where you look at companies that are being really prescriptive of, you have to be in the office three times a week. It's not really, to me, what, you're what we should be trying to do is come up with a compelling why. You know, what is the reason you need to be in the office or that you need flexibility? You've got to figure that out for yourself and you can't get caught up in this mania that the media has around everyone, you know, is saying this about returning to work, or we work saying this, or Apple saying this, or, um, you know, Jamie Dimon saying this, you've got to figure out what makes sense for your particular company and what it is uh, you're trying to achieve. And then if you decide that you want to continue in a remote environment, and it makes sense, but you still need some of those intentional, uh, or, or some of those informal connections, you can be intentional, but still informal. And there's a lot of apps out there that support it. So if you're using Slack, for example, um, some of my clients have deployed Donut, which is an app that matches random uh, people in a company together to get to know them over coffee for 20 minutes. And so that's another way that you can foster some of those informal um, connections to lead to uh, different innovative conversations. That's great. Steve, what are your thoughts about fostering innovation in, in, a, in a remote world? Well, when you think about innovation and creativity, often people go to the uh, concept of new ideas. We want new ideas. And, and uh, as Anissa mentioned, um, Google, you know, asking its employees or spurring its employees to spend, you know, a percentage of their time on new ideas. For every new idea that's launched, it takes two or 300,000 hours to actually execute it and get it delivered. So you really want to reward not just new ideas out of the blue sky, because it's hard to reorient a company around a new idea every day or even every year. What you want are new ideas 
to improve what you're already doing, to improve the mission that you're already doing. And um, so first, I would start with an engaging mission, making sure that the mission is engaged uh, and people are engaged with it and feel connected to it and feel inspired to want to improve it. And that's where the real golden ideas come from is, is, you know, not just, hey, let's let's come out with a flying car, but hey, let's take what we're already doing and change this or change this about the customer experience. Those ideas are really important. And one way to do that remotely is that you can continue to execute best practices like you see in Agile or Scrum, where you're going to do a retrospective on how did we do last week or how did we do on this particular initiative and get everybody in the room making sure that they talk about the pluses, the minuses, what we could do better and what maybe we should start doing and what we should stop doing and make sure you hear from all corners. And those type of practices, which can be done remotely or in person, um, really can create an environment where all ideas and all seeds get planted. And those things, again, they don't have to just be done in the conference room. It used to be that way. Now there are tools online and techniques that let you do those things even remotely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And definitely I'm a fan of the agile, uh, <laughs> the, the agile approach to things. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Definitely, definitely agree. Well, let's um, let's switch gears a little bit and and to a, to another topic, um, talent acquisition. So, Sue, I'll, I'll give you this question first. Um, I think we can all agree that the hiring market is tough right now. Um, yet, uh, you know, companies are sticking to the old ways of interviewing and hiring talent, getting to the eighth or ninth interview in some cases. I know many people that have been through that. We were talking about this the other day as we were prepping for this. How can how can companies be more agile in you know in their hiring approach and, and still get the best talent? Yeah, you're um, preaching the choir there with um, this. I, I'm not we're not quite sure what's happened over the last few years where it used to be that, and this is un-COVID related. If that's a adjective, um, you coined it now. So <laughs> I have now un-COVID related. Um, the We've moved from you know interviewing with two to three of the key people to 10 people. And I'm not exaggerating. I just booked, I think five, three, like the 11th interview for one of our candidates. Um, and you know, we're not quite sure why that's happened to be. Now, granted, we absolutely recognize that having a new hire um, have the buy-in from some of the key people they'll be working with is, you know, accelerates onboarding. It just makes everything go a little bit faster, a little bit smoother. We get that, but I'm not sure you need 10 people. Um, and, you know, we're, we're calling it our public service announcement as we're talking to clients right now, given this in just insane um, job seekers market, um, we're saying, you know, if you like a candidate, move quickly. Because if you don't, I promise you, there are two or three other companies who may be about to give them an offer. We just lost a candidate to this last week. Um, and so, um, but I don't think they're hearing us because <laughs> these extended interviews are still happening no matter how often we say it. So, you know, our, our recommendations are, um, you know, figure out it, who are the most important people and keep it into a very short list. Who are the most important people? If you're looking for cultural fit, that's an important piece. So who will they be most um, working with? 
And there also may be someone in the company who is almost like the corporate culture ambassador, if you will, someone who's just a really good advocate for the company and also just a good judge of cultural fit. You'll see that occasionally where a client will ask them this, um, a candidate to meet with someone who's not necessarily in their direct sphere of where they'll be working, but they, they appreciate that employee's take on culture and how they embody the culture. So we get that. Um, and so um, the other thing I'd say is just trust your hiring gut. Um, you know, when I used to hire folks, it was a combination of your gut reaction to spending some time with that person. Do they have the skill set you're looking for? But do you, would you want to work with this person eight hours a day? You know, have a couple other key people talk to them. Obviously, do reference checks, which, you know, have their, you know, with a grain of salt. But you can actually find out some really interesting things through reference checks. Um, and then just go for it, um, especially in this market. Um, and the other thing I'd say is... Um, well, two other things I'd say. One is, you know, perhaps you can try to talk to your HR management teams about the, what is currently your standard company standard hiring process and talk, see if you can advocate for at least in this environment, changing that or, or truncating it so that everyone is in agreement that this is how the interview process is going to go. So you're not trying to, after the fact, as you bring someone in and you want to make the offer and you're still trying to go through six more interviews, see if you can, you know, advocate up to just say, could we approach this a little bit differently? And here's my plan. Um, the other thing I want to mention, and this is on the candidate side, even though we're mostly working remotely, a lot of people still have fairly structured work days. And when you ask someone to go through 10 45 minute hour long interviews, they are taking time off. Some of them, you know, some of our candidates are actually taking PTO or they're on their 17th, you know, um, doctor's appointment, which either they're really ill or people are gonna figure out they're interviewing. So just have some respect for what you're asking on um, the candidates side. It's, it's, a, it's a real burden to put them through too many interviews. Um, again, I, I agree that a certain number is necessary to make sure that it is the right fit for your company. But um, I think it's it's gotten a little out of control. Yeah. Anissa, what are what are your thoughts about navigating this, this uh, hiring market? Yeah, it's a crazy time, like Sue said. And so the, the advice that I give my clients is to be as thoughtful about acquiring employees as you are about customers. And it's a skill set that they already have, typically, if they're successful, right? They know how to go out and get customers are super thoughtful of it. So now they just need to hone that skill, build that muscle or tone that muscle to, to go after employees. And so, um, you know, I think the one thing I do ask them to think about is develop that unique candidate experience that you know, and Sue touched on this too, that makes the most of the candidates' time. Be super respectful of their time. Um, have a defined and engaging interview process. So if you are going to have nine interviews, right, and sometimes we're just not going to be able to talk companies out of it, explain why and show them how that's going to progress and then let them know that they're going to get feedback in 24 hours or come up with whatever the right service level agreement is and then when you do a go or no go decision, be thoughtful, give them feedback as to why they're moving, they're not moving ahead so that, you know, they get something out of this experience versus just interviewing with you. And the other, a couple of things that I've been experimenting with, one is to send questions out in advance 
uh, the questions that are, are going to be part of the interview process. It can either be sample questions or the actual ones. And by letting and candidates prepare, I find that the discussions are much richer when they actually come to the table. And then I think the, the other thing that, um, and, and I, I also think it helps when you're trying to diversify your workforce, just you know, giving people, we're not a gotcha culture, we want you to come prepared, we want you to be relaxed, we wanna really hear what you have to say. Um, the other thing that I've been, uh, experimenting with in this in this market right because a lot of it is marketing it's no different than when you're trying to sell your house in a competitive market or, or buy a house in a competitive market you need to have the right marketing materials and so one of the things that I've been doing with my clients is helping them come up with a candidate success guide and this equips the candidate with all the information that they need to know to be successful in the interview process and it preps them for it. So it goes through what that experience is, how we're gonna be respectful of their time, what the interview process looks like, the values of the company, the culture of the company. And it really removes what I call those gotcha moments, which I think, you know, as, as companies continue to evolve, as cultures continue to evolve, there's less and less tolerance of that. Um, and, it shows that you thought through the process and that you want to make the most of their time. So if you know that your um, life cycle to close a customer is 30 days, you should have a similar metric for your um, life cycle to close a candidate and to get them on board. I would, um, Anisa, that's an amazingly, that's an excellent point. And it, it made me think of two other things is um, there, there's still a thinking that the candidate, it's solely a one-way transaction that's occurring, that the candidate has to sell the various members of the interview team. Um, it should never be that way. It really needs to be thought of as a two-way transaction. Are we as a company selling ourselves to this candidate if we think they're, they're a strong potential? But in, especially in this market where there are candidates have choices to be really super cognizant of the fact that you're selling, um, you got to sell the company um, to the candidate. And it's another point I wanted to make about, because this just happened too. Um, there is a risk when you put a candidate you really like in front of X number of people. Every new person that candidate meets with could possibly be a turnoff. So um, we just had a candidate get through several rounds of interviews went through um, what should have been the second to final. And um, can it, the client came back and said, yep, we want to move all the way to let's meet with CEO. We're pretty sold. My candidate came back and said, after that conversation, you couldn't pay me enough to work with that company or work with that particular person. And it was because what he, that interviewer said some things that made our candidate question the culture of the company. So just that's not going to happen every time, but it is a factor to keep in mind that don't throw too many people at your, um, at your candidate and um, be really thoughtful about who you have them meet with. So certain people are just unavoidable. If you're going to work very closely with some other key stakeholder, then that conversation has to happen. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, and again, Anissa prompted this, is please don't ghost your candidates. Um, again, not a COVID issue. It's been going on as long as I've been in this business. Um, I can't tell you the number of people who've come to us and told us, you know, a story after story of having been through interview round three, four, five. I met with the CEO. I met with the senior executive team and I never heard anything again. Um, we recognize that, especially in larger companies, 
companies are reluctant to provide any sort of feedback beyond we're going in a different direction or you weren't chosen because of some uh, liability concerns if they give anything that could be perceived as subjective. But at least do the common courtesy of at least telling somebody that you're no longer being considered, even if you're unable to provide additional um, color commentary to that. But please don't forget that there is a human being behind every resume. And I know, especially in an environment like this, you know, we'll get 100 applications for every um, position we put out there. Um, but don't forget that these are people behind the resume and that they deserve a, at least a, a minimum level of courtesy during the process. Great. Yeah, I appreciate that. Let's, uh, let's get to our, our last topic here, um, training and development. So Steve, I'll, I'll pass this to you. Um, you know, just like we were talking about acquisition, retention is also a big issue here. You know, this has been um, called the, what the great resignation and, you know, terms like that have been, have been thrown around. Yeah. Um, you know, one way to retain talent is to make sure they continue to learn and see an upward trajectory for their careers. How do companies um, provide that, and, and you know what's what's the best way to do this? Has hybrid remote work has has it changed, and you know what do you see over the next over the next year? Well, our entire business model revolves around mentoring, and when we had to go remote, we didn't have any choice but to invent a way to do mentoring via a remote means, and so we have. Uh, done that through Zoom, uh, we've done that through uh, Slack, and we've done it uh, with pair programming. Now, obviously, we're in the software development business, so pair programming, there are platforms where you can literally have the mentor on one side of the screen and the um, mentee on the other, and that development works great. Um, but I have to say, we're a training company, but there's nothing better than actual on-the-job training with real assignments, not training, not classes, not certificates, not mentoring, but giving someone a work assignment, a challenge that may be a stretch for them, an ambitious mission, um, but you know that they can do, and then making sure that they're mentored and supported throughout it. That is the crucible for great learning, and it really is the crucible that sparks people's high satisfaction with a job because they see themselves learning. And when you think back, I'm sure everyone listening, ask yourself how you learned what you do best. And the answer is probably not from a class. It's probably from doing it on the job from a great boss, a great mentor, a great teacher, and doing it, learning it, honing it, failing um, but then, um, you know, taking risks and picking yourself back up. That's the kind of environment and opportunities that folks are looking for. And I know when Anissa and Sue are talking about candidates um, leaving the process, I don't think employers understand. We are in a situation where there are millions and millions of vacancies uh, more than there are candidates. And so it is, it is a worker's market right now, an employee's market. And it, it, there are always going to be vacant seats out there that employers cannot fill because they aren't competitive. And one way to be competitive is keep the employees you have by making sure you trust them with the missions, even though they may seem like a stretch, they may seem like you're giving them too much to bite off. But a challenging, ambitious mission with a really great boss is something that will keep an employee there. And remember, an employee kept, as Sue and Anissa will tell you, an employee kept <laughs> is when you don't have to go out and hire. So um, in this market, you've got to retain the, the jewels that you have. 
Wonderful. Well, I, I wish we had a little more time here to continue this discussion, but um, thank you so much to, to all three of you for, for joining and um, definitely looking forward to, to continuing this conversation as well. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World Podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.